This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. Now, Hunter Biden's $500,000 artwork, it's starting to get to people. People are seeing it. His people. Us, people that saw through this right away, us Trump voters, you could feel how the general public looks at $500,000 artwork. What's going on? Every kid on the street corner. I mean, when I was a 12-year-old kid sitting on a bench in Brooklyn with my friends playing casino or or knucks or whatever, we would talk about stuff like this, and I'm sure they're they're talking about it right now. Hey, money laundering. Hey, what's he doing? Hey, half a million bucks for his oil paint. I did finger paints in the first grade, man. I had to sell that. I bet you can get a 500000 I mean, that's what the kids have to be laughing about. That's not something to be proud of. Trousers and motorcycle boots And a black leather jacket with his name on the back He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Ride Radio His name is New York Mike And welcome to the show This is Roll Right Radio on New York Mike Yeah baby, we're rolling alright So, here I am, I'm on my Thanksgiving trip You know, I've been on the road a couple of weeks right now Rolled out to Florida Kind of looking for Looking for a new place to live. Looking to get out of California, man. We keep on talking about it and going through it. People say, man, you've been in San Diego so long. It's, you're part of the fabric of San Diego. And, and you know, I said, yeah, I love it. I love being there. I love doing the podcast and hanging around Excalibur Cigars and all the other places that, you know, I, I hang out. I go to Little Italy and here and there. Maybe I don't hang out as much as I used to in places I used to hang out. But I still love going there, being there, being part of it. But I really don't like, intently, I hate the word hate, but intently don't like, is California. The state of California has just ruined the wonderful, incredible geography in which it's been blessed. From the ocean to the mountains, everything about it, from the weather to the, all of it is so incredibly wonderful. And then the government comes in and says, well, we're not going to let guys come here from all over the country and live. And Oh, yeah, you want to live in Pennsylvania and Ohio? And yeah, you can live there. But if you want to live here, you're going to have to pay the taxes. You're going to have to pay for all the illegal aliens that come across to Mexico because they come across here. You're going to have to pay for their schools, for their hospitals, for everything. You're also going to have to have all these rules and regulations because we want to discourage People building. We want to keep everything clean. We want to make sure that global warming does not emanate from any of California's. I mean, what are they doing? They make it impossible. Yeah, we don't want you to have any interactions with anybody that works for you. Any interactions that you have where they could say that you had other than perfect intentions, then they could sue you. And oh, by the way, there are all these lawyers roaming around the place just ready to pounce as soon as they hear that you fired somebody and they can pin something on you that is sexual harassment or what well, I mean, that's what it's all about. You're walking on eggs in California. The taxes and the regulations and 
all the rest of the bullshit. It's horrible. And I, I don't want to deal with that. And by the way, I just came back from Panama City, Florida. Oh, my God, did I love that town. They don't have any restrictions on anything. What you build, what you do, how you do it, it's all, it's like there. And I said, wow, I haven't been here in 50 years and it hasn't changed a bit. There's no planned communities over here. You got the water, you got the beach. It's for the people, by the people, whatever you want to do. Just do it. It's great. Oh, my God. I don't have any excuse not to go there. I don't. I had a great time. I hung out with terrific people in great places. And I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's hard. It's really hard leaving a place like California. It is. And they know it. They know it. And that's why they're able to get away with this, like, what, 10% state tax and all these other rules and regulations, shutting down businesses, mandates, mask mandates, COVID vaccination, all the stuff that they, that they have. But you got to remember something. They also have lane splitting. <laughs> How much is that worth? You know what? I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. We did. We spent it at Petrina's brother's house in Ormond Beach. Her sister came up. Her mom was in. It had a nice family feel to it. We have so much to be thankful for in America. I don't want to get into this, this stuff that's perverting the Thanksgiving holidays. I don't want to get into the stuff that's calling it the names, celebrating genocide and all the rest of this stuff. What a crock. There's something else about doing this. And I don't know when it started. They're talking about the American Indians and quote-unquote Native Americans, the people that were here when we got here. Because I, I want to say this. They seem to be chopping us up. When I was a kid, I grew up, it was just a salad, not even a salad bowl. It was a melting pot. You became an American. Whether you were Asian, Black, whatever your background, heritage, wherever your great-grandparents grew up, and there was injustices done as the people arrived here and stepped on the ground. The Chinese people brought here to help build those railroads. Oh my God, what they went through. How about the Irish? Ah, oh, did anybody suffer more than the Irish? Was anybody treated worse? Yeah, I know. Okay, let's go back to the slaves, of course. I mean, let's not be stupid about this. But we all came paid that price. When they let the prisoners in, in Australia out, they settled South Carolina. There were a bunch of prisoners, man. They let out and said, okay, what are we going to do with these guys? We're tired of keeping them in the prison and freeding them and taking care of them. Just send them to America. They don't want to go. So America was settled. Those people weren't treated real well when they got here. And so when the pioneer went out to settle the West, when they went out and got all the supplies, the last of everything, the last of civilization was St. Louis. That's where they have the big arches now. That's where the covered wagons left from. That was it. After that, they're on their own. And they went out. And some of them were murdered, killed. The natives, they, they didn't have, you know, no trespassing signs. 
because they didn't build farms or ranches or anything else. One tribe would be on the land of another tribe. The same thing would happen. But some of those tribes befriended some of these. Listen, it was done. These people went out and some were horribly killed and maimed and everything. Some of them made friends with the local Indian tribes and did things with them. And somehow the West was one and it was one together. And I hate the idea, and I'll use the word hate because I do hate the idea of separating us, African-Americans and this-Americans, Native Americans. and We're all Americans. And I can tell you that when it comes to the American Indian and the, the Aboriginal people who are here, the ones I've known, the first place is a paratrooper, for some reason, these Indians gravitate towards jumping out of planes and working up in high places. There are a lot of them iron workers. I've known a lot of, lot of iron workers who are Indians and a lot of paratroopers, Marines. I remember being at a Sturgis Hall of Fame breakfast. It must have been one celebrating something special because the medicine man from the local tribe from the local reservation was there in, in all his regala, man. I mean, he had the feathers, the bonnet, everything. And he said a prayer. And it was really quite something. He gave the benediction. It was kind of cool. At the time, I was the MC for the Hall of Fame breakfast. I did that for a few years. And I was talking to him. He was probably 80-something. And he landed on Iwo Jima. And you think about it, how many American Indians fought in World War II? I know we all heard the, the code talkers, the Navajos. I mean, my God, they were heroes. An amazing story. But how many others? So why are we separating each other? Why do we talk about genocide? Why do we talk about, you know, Thanksgiving, where how, how terribly we treated the, the people that were here when we got here, they're our brothers in arms. We're one nation. Can we stay one nation under God, please? That's all we're asking for here. Anyway, I'm thankful for this great country and everybody in it who considers themselves an American, especially an American first. I think that's critical. After that, yeah, your heritage, your Italian, you're Russian, you're, you know, whatever, Cuban, American, you know, whatever. Okay, but you're American first. So let's keep it that way. That's all I'm asking because I'm so grateful for all my fellow Americans. And let's, let's all be American first. So I really hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And now, by the way, you know, it's on to Christmas, but today is the first day of Hanukkah. Yeah, first day of Hanukkah. Now, Hanukkah, it's a Hebrew holiday. It's more than just Jewish, it's the, the Hebrew people. And it celebrates a miracle. The Maccabees, they took on the Philistines and everybody tried to, and some were successful at defeating Jerusalem, defeating Israel, defeating the Jews. But they fought hard. The Maccabees, that family, Judah Maccabee, they fought and they won and they took back the temple. In the temple, there's a light that shines in front of the Torah. The Torah is our laws, the laws of Judaism, and it's brilliant. 
And it's more than laws. It's it's the story of how we should live and the whole ongoing relationships between people. Eating healthy foods, eating kosher, what you do, the passage of time. It's all there. And the wonderful history of our people over three, over, well over 3,000 years. It, it's, it's just a great and amazing history. And it's in the ark behind the pulpit. And that's where it rests. And there's a, a red light shining and a red globe. And it's called the eternal light because it's always on. It's never off. So when the Maccabees took back the temple, it's a big deal. And they go inside and they want to rekindle the eternal light. Religious symbolism means so much. And they go in and they light it. And there's only enough oil to last a day. That's it. And now they had to go find more oil, more fuel for this eternal light. And they went out and they couldn't find any. But that little bit of oil lasted and kept that eternal light on for eight days. It was a miracle. Day after day. Can you just see the people coming in? The soldiers and the, the local people that are coming back in the temple. They go, what's going on? The light's still there. It's still, it's still on. Oh, my God. The second day. It was supposed to be out yesterday. Then the third day. And then the fourth day and fifth day and on. And then finally on the eighth day, when they were able to, you know, get more oil. And they celebrated. So that's why it's called the Festival of Lights. Because of that light. It's not like there were bright lights all over the place and street lamps. No. It was just this one eternal light that was supposed to just have enough for it to last for a day. And the eternal light burned with only one day's worth of oil, and it lasts of eight. And so we celebrate the miracle. We have symbolism and metaphors. And somehow I see the metaphor of Hanukkah, the miracle of light, the miracle of the state of Israel, defeated by our enemies, and we still toiled the land, and the Jews were there accepting whatever fate doing whatever we could to continue to nurture the land of Israel. And then, 1948, there's a vote, and Israel becomes a state. A vote in the U.N. By the way, there were 33 yeses, 13 noes, and 10 abstained. So, you know, it wasn't unanimous, but it was when President Truman the President of the United States said, you know, we're, we're endorsing this. That's what gave Israel its soul back. And the state of Israel is an amazing story, a human story of, of a miracle that it's there, that not only does it survive and exist, but it thrives. It has done so much. It was barren land. It was the Negev Desert. It had nothing. And they've made it into one of the greatest nations on the planet. I mean, we get so much out of it. Israel is a miracle. And so when we celebrate 
Hanukkah today and for the next eight days. Well, next seven days. As we celebrate Hanukkah and the miracle of, of lights, remember, Israel itself is a light to humanity in so many ways. And now we're going on to Christmas and here we are. And the way I see it, the, the country is, it seems confused and even depressed. You know, the inflation that's kicking prices through the roof is causing much of the damage that hurts people. You work hard, you, your family brings in enough money to pay the rent or a small mortgage, bring in the food, you pay for your cars, your fuel, and all of a sudden things start kicking up. Kicking up three, four, five percent, six percent. It doesn't sound like a lot. But at the end of the month, if that six percent turns out to be two hundred, three hundred dollars, that's how much short you are on your rent. That's how much short you are in your car payment. That's how short you are. It doesn't sound like a lot. It's a lot. It should sound like a lot. That damage hurts. Milk, butter, eggs, everything is up, is up, is up. So at the end of that month, that three, four, five hundred dollars that you're paying additional, two hundred, that means, okay, we don't go to the movies this month. The kids don't get an extra ice cream. I mean, that's what's going on, and people are starting to feel. Now, it's taken a while. It didn't happen overnight. I talked about inflation back last March. I saw it coming, and I said, Listen, write down the five things, the price of milk, eggs, butter, the price of wood, the price of whatever the things are that you buy on a regular basis. I saw, of course, start with price of gas. Put it on your refrigerator and make a note every two weeks, at least once a month. Make a note the changes. Well, if you did that starting in March, by now, I mean, the place you're paying for gas, we were paying about three bucks in California. And we're paying close to five right now. That's a huge jump. That's almost two dollars a gallon. Think about it. Let's say you just have a fifteen gallons of gas in your car, average when you get gas. So you get fifteen gallons. That's thirty dollars every time you fill up. That's sixty dollars a week. If you do that every week, that's two hundred and fifty bucks right there. That's a lot of money. Now you add to that, the end of the month, let's say you're paying another 30 or $40 for meat and poultry, another $20 for, for milk, another $20. I'm pretty sure we're talking three fifty, four hundred bucks to a family of four that's just making enough to get by. I mean, my family, when I was a kid, we never made enough. You know, the end of the month, there wasn't enough money to make the end of the month. There never was. So it hurts, but the psychological effect, think about it, the psychological effect, imagine the Democrats who voted for Biden and his agenda. I know some of these people and they're like, well, what's going on? Now look, it's hurting all of us. But those of us who were always against it, always predicted maybe not things would be this bad, this beyond what we believe, but we knew it wouldn't be good. But how about the ones that really thought this was going to be a good thing? They really thought this was going to work out. They really thought that the direction we were going and it was wrong and we needed to, to change it drastically, which they've done. How is that? Because psychologically, those who voted for Biden's agenda, his agenda made do even more damage 
as the country's enthusiasm rate drops, as does the left wing's approval rate, drops as well, but the prices continue to rise. And the underlying cause of this inflation, what's causing the confusion, and as the hardships of higher prices cause the pain, and it all brings on depression, it's a mental depression. Will it turn into a financial depression, like the depression of 1929? Let's hold not. But I got to tell you, it's maybe just a recession of 08. I mean, a lot depends on how the leaders react. And that's what's scaring people most. The Democrats and the media, initially, they backed and apologized. Okay, okay. The first day, cancel the XL pipeline and the oil and gas leases. And they all justified it. They said, well, climate change, we got to take care of the climate. It just seemed that it was like they could justify it. It was okay. Then as time went on, there's Biden. He approves the pipeline in Germany. Now, remember, Trump had stopped that from happening. And now they approve it. It's the same environment. If you're worried about global warming, what's the difference if it's a pipeline here or a pipeline? It's a pipeline. As a matter of fact, a pipeline here, if there's things going on about it that we're not comfortable with, we could do something about it. A pipeline in Germany, a Russian pipeline? There's no way you can't regulate. You can't do anything to make sure it's not out of control. So it's concerning. It's concerning the leadership approved that pipeline in Germany. The same environment, it's all the same thing. And, and as gas prices rise here, it's become clear to the Democrats that as we make less, we're making less gas, less. We are energy independent. We made as much gas as we needed. We had all these reserves. And now, they're making more. OPEC, the enemy, OPEC, is making all this more gas. So if he said, well, gas production being down saves the environment. Yeah, it's down here, but it's up there, and we have no control over it. We don't have any control over how they get it out of the ground, how they refine it. We don't have any control over anything that OPEC does. When it's done here, we do. So if there's something that the environmentalist feels egregious and is hurting the environment, they can come down and they can limit it. They can look at it. They can do a lot of things. Even if you talk about OSHA and you talk about working conditions, you can't control the working conditions in Saudi Arabia and any other places where they're making oil in South America. I mean, that's OPEC. You don't have any control. At least if you say, hey, you know what? I'm an environmentalist and I want to see people be treated right. And I want to make sure that there's work standards. Do it here. But nope. Nope. So they're doing it over there. And the gas prices are rising over here. And it didn't happen overnight. And people are starting to look. And they're looking and saying, wait a minute. We're no longer energy independent. Now we're depending on our adversaries in the Middle East. We're depending on OPEC. We're paying more. And, and not only are we paying more, 
Not only do we not have control over the environmental consciousness of how the gas is found and how the gas and the oil and the pipelines, we don't have any control, but we're also concerned about a lack, a lack of supply. Talk about the supply chain. What happens when, you know, the supply chain includes gas and you can't get fuel for your car? So we're worried about that. So it comes with additional stress. And it's starting to sink in. People are just starting to, and, and you knew that because all of a sudden, his energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm, they ask her a question and she laughs it off. They said, what can you do about the high price of gas? She laughs. She goes, I, I wish I could control that. Well, yes, you can. It's called pipelines and oil and gas explorations. That's what it is. It's called loosen your fists of government control of everything we do. And allow us to explore and to do things and to, to drill and the fracking. Allow us the freedom. That's what you can do. And then they asked you, Jennifer Granholm, how many barrels of gas do we use a day? Because Biden said when he finally was pushed by his people to do something about the high price of gas and the possibility that there might not be any available at some point, I mean, look, do you remember, does anybody remember the gas lines back in the 80s under Jimmy Carter? Because if you don't, I'll paint you a picture. Everywhere you went, you went to a gas station, you had to hope they had gas. Everybody had a gas can in their car. Because if you got to the pump, you put whatever you could in your car, so you fill it up, and then you want to put a little extra in that gas can. Two and a half, three gallons, five gallon gas can, something you can carry. And we all had them. We all had a favorite gas station that we could pull up to in hours when no one else was there. And hopefully you can, you can get gas. Sometimes it was worse than waiting for the driving window at Starbucks. So the lines are 15, 20, 30 cars long. It was serious. This is the way it was at almost every gas station. So you don't want to see that again. But it happened quick. One day, everything was fine. Next day, what's going on with gas? Oh, my God, we're not getting any gas from OPEC. So they got the embargo. Boom. They literally have us over a barrel. And people are worried about that. So what happens? What does Biden do? He says he's going to tap into the national oil reserves. Now, we got these oil reserves. And by the way, when, when oil prices were way low, President Trump, Fill those reserves, man. He said, hey, while prices are real low, just in case, so we have insurance in the future, I'm going to fill them up. And so we, we have a great oil reserve. But that oil reserve, that's something that you, you don't want to use unless you absolutely, 100% have to. So what does Biden say? He's going to tap on the reserve and take out 50 million barrels of oil. 50 million barrels. And someone asked Jennifer Grenell, our Secretary of Energy. How many barrels do we use a day? I'll circle back to you. This is one circular administration. I got to tell you, she's going to circle. She's the Secretary of Energy for crying out loud, especially when things are going on. She needs to be prepared. You would think she'd have the brains to do a little show prep, do a little homework, but nope. Here's the story. We all know now. Because everybody came out and said, wait a minute, 50 million barrels. 
we use in this country about 20 million barrels a day. 20 million barrels a day. So 50 million barrels, let's do the math. Two and a half days? Let's say it's three days. Well, if it's a Hanukkah play, maybe in the last eight days. Hey, I don't know. Oh, my God. This is the emergency supply. Are you kidding? Three days supply. He says, this is Biden. Well, we're going to do what we can to bring the price down. Why would you bring the price down? By throwing out 50 million barrels of gas. You're not bringing the price down. We're lucky we have it. That's all. Bring the price down, what? 10 cents? Okay, I'll take it. And when he said that, what happened? That was like last week. What happened? I, I'm telling you. The air went out of any show of confidence that the left had. Oh, it, it, I mean, it was so stupid. So blatantly, transparently, obviously stupid. Lots of other things have been draining America's confidence in Joe Biden. And, and by the way, when I say it's, it's really his people. No, we hope for the best, but we saw early on. We weren't getting that. We saw what he was doing. And now that it's piled up, we're starting to see the results. This is the results of closing the pipeline. You'll close it in January and see a result in February. It takes a little bit of time. And here it is. But, you know, our confidence in Biden has been eroding. It's important that we see, don't get me wrong. I want every conservative to see it. Everybody that voted for Trump to see it. It's not what I want to be happening. But now that the Democrats are starting to see it, the media is starting to see it, his administration. I mean, everything was obvious when you looked at what happened in Afghanistan. I think that was a big moment, a horrible moment for America. My God, we didn't want that to happen. I don't want anybody to think, because I'm, I'm talking about these policies, that I'm gloating over it or celebrating it or happy about it. I'm not. This is just the facts. This is what's going on. And it's getting worse. Just like closing the pipeline, the cumulative effects have taken place in the last six, eight months, nine months. Same thing. Afghanistan. That was August, September, October, November. It went, you know, it's going to get worse and worse. We've seen the bad results. The China policy right now. The China policy, she is beating them alive. Biden is, is she's whipping boy. And what I'm going to talk about in a minute, the reason why. What about the border policy? I mean, his inability to handle COVID. Now, COVID was his number one election issue, okay? So his inability to handle it, remember something. More Americans have died of COVID in 2021 than in 2020. And we're not finished with this year. And more Americans have died of COVID. You don't see it every day. Remember when Trump was president? Every single day, 150,000 Americans, 180,000 Americans dead. How many do you think it's going to be? It might be as high as 250,000. Oh, 280. Oh, Donald Trump's responsible. It's like you don't hear of it now. The media doesn't publish the numbers. You hardly even know it. If I didn't say it on this podcast, if Roll Right Radio didn't come out and put this number out there, you might not even have known about it. Yet, when Trump was president, you knew that number every day. How many people died that day, that week, that month? You knew it. What are we up to now? You knew it. Not with Biden in there. 
How about the Rittenhouse trial and his nasty comments? Everything erodes the confidence of his people. And they're starting to see the reality that his policies aren't working, his ideas aren't working. He has no leadership. And then what? The rift with Kamala Harris, she does nothing. And, and now people are starting to say, yeah, well, because they're seeing the reality that he is probably not going to make it. And they can't let Kamala Harris. Do. You talk about confusion, man. I mean, the, the overall lack of confidence that he instills with his poor leadership qualities, he has no charisma whatsoever. He gets angry. Have you ever seen his angry tone? And then he comes up with his mask mandates, vaccine mandates. I mean, with all this going on, and then the Durham report comes out. John Durham, who's investigating what happened, Russiagate, and his report comes out. Three indictments on Russiagate. Now, Hunter Biden's $500,000 artwork. It's starting to get to people. People are seeing it. His people. Us, people that saw through this right away. Us Trump voters, people that, we're, we're all one, by the way. This is one country. Joe Biden is the president of the United States of America. We want to change it. Now, the other side, the side that elected them, now they want to change it. And they're starting to see things. You could just get a sense of it. Yeah, sure. His numbers are going to poll numbers. By the way, I can't stand polls. The idea of them. I think they're so artificial. They're so contrived. And yet we all pay attention to them. You get a sense of what's going on. You could feel how the, the general public looks at $500,000 artwork. What's going on? Every kid on the street corner. I mean, when I was a 12-year-old kid sitting on a bench in Brooklyn with my friends playing casino or or knocks or, or whatever, we would talk about stuff like this. And I'm sure that they're talking about it right now. Hey, money laundering. Hey, what's he doing? Hey, half a million bucks for his oil paints. I did finger paints in the first grade, man. I had to sell it. I bet you I can get a $500. I mean, that's what the kids got to be laughing about. That's not something to be proud of. And the Riles people. And now Miranda Devine from the New York Post comes out with a book, Laptop from Hell. Remember the laptop? Hunter Biden's laptop that they found because the idiot put it. I mean, what? These, these people are not really that bright. They're certainly not sophisticated at all. And this laptop, now it's what, a year later or more? And it, it exposes everything. How he leveraged his dad for huge profits from China to Russia to the Ukraine. It's clear that Biden, Joe Biden, was extremely involved with his 10% kickback coming his way. And by the way, his final approval was neither for It's all there. It's all there in this laptop. It's We're all done. The, the people on the side, I'm sure that there's media people. Look, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to protect him? What do you think he's going to do? We don't want to keep looking stupid. I don't know. As this unravels, it's going to come down like an avalanche cascading down a freaking mountain until it finally puts Biden in jeopardy. And I mean jeopardy. 
the kind of jeopardy that demands the questions be answered by everyone. It's going to happen. It's happening. You're watching it. It's happening in real time. I'm telling you. Where are the voters? I want to see a poll of those voters who voted for Biden. Where are they now? I'm talking about politically. Not where they live. In battleground states that came up with millions of votes between 10 o'clock at night and 5 o'clock at morning. Oh, my God. Yeah. And how did the lies told about Trump impact you now since Biden's been in office? All right. I want to know that. 2016 Russiagate lie. Is it upsetting? That's what I want to know from these people. I want to take a poll. Yeah. How does the lies told about Trump, about Trump, impact you? How does Russiagate, the Russiagate lie, is it upsetting? The FISA court lies. The Russian dossier. And who paid for it? How about what happened to General Flynn? Okay? The persecution of General Flynn. Who goes to jail, loses everything. For what? Or, or KT McFarlane. I mean, how does that make you feel? I'm talking to the Biden voters who believe this. What does COVID play in your assessment of Biden? There's more COVID deaths now than them. New strains of viruses, variances. There was no vaccine when Trump was president. Now, with the vaccines, there are more deaths. Mandates are counterproductive. Do you agree? Come on. I know there are people that swear, oh, we need mandates and all that stuff. Come on. It's counterproductive. It's not American. It doesn't work. If you're vaccinated, what are you worried about? The person who's not vaccinated. They can't hurt you. You're vaccinated. So why are you making this that issue that you, you're willing to stoop as low as having this government Get so big and powerful, it can mandate that you wear a mask, which we all know by now does nothing. Does nothing. We know that. Okay. Yet, you're willing to empower a government to that degree. Come on, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the reality. Where are you now, politically? Where are you? Because, look, you could still be a Democrat. You could still want those things that the party... And for whatever reason, I don't want to, but politically, you've got to look at this last year and say, yeah, this, this is where we're going, definitely going in the wrong direction. How are we going to fix it? Because it's your party. Yeah, we're going to do what we're going to do. So a year from now, we'll have an election. And then a year and a couple of months, we'll have control of Congress again. But we need to do something together as Americans. What's going on right now can't continue. What did Biden talk about today? The possibility of more lockdowns. He's frantic. He's panicking. There's nothing he could do that's effective to take on COVID. Look, I'm not saying that Trump did whatever he could. He did rely way too much on Fauci. Fauci's a fraud. He's totally a fraud. Get rid of Fauci. But I'm not going to sit here and blame Biden for COVID. I'm going to blame Biden for not taking enough steps to take us in the right direction to panic and just ask for mandates, mandate this, mandate that. I'm going to say there's other things he should have or could have done. Do you think that if Donald Trump was in it, remember he was there, he had Operation Warp Speed. Don't you think as a president, he'd be doing other things right now? 
to bring COVID to its knees? Yeah, and we certainly wouldn't be talking about lockdown. We destroyed the economy. We destroyed people's lives. We brought on inflation. Inflation wasn't just because of fuel. That's a big part of it. Inflation's also because of all the money that we threw at it. We threw zillions of dollars at the problem. The more dollars you put out there chasing for less goods, the higher the price. That's called inflation. So we didn't help ourselves. Putting masks on kids have set a whole generation of kids back. A year or two is a lot. So there's a lot we have to get done. We need real leadership. We don't have it. And now we're facing this Iran deal, okay? Israel's not going to stand for it. Why would they? The Trump administration would never have stood for it. Why are we standing for it now? I don't think it's going to happen, not with everything Iran is doing. But it looks like it's, it's going to happen. And what about the climate change deal? Are you kidding me? What's going on with that? And now they're going to come in, okay, they passed infrastructure. Shame on the Republicans. Shame on Kevin McCarthy. Thirteen Republican Congress members voted for the infrastructure bill. If they didn't pass that bill, they couldn't even be looking at this Build Back Bankrupt bill. They couldn't even be looking at it, but they are. Some of the things in that bill are so detrimental to our everyday lives. It's a horror story. I don't think it's going to get passed. I don't think they're going to vote on it. Maybe they have to vote on it. But I don't think it's going to pass the Senate. And not at all. Nancy Pelosi, like when she said about Obamacare, she said, well, you can't read it till you pass it. <laughs> and that's what they did. They passed it. Then we read it and said, oh, my God. She's trying the same thing here. And she could have done it. But there were roadblocks, thank God. So now people are starting to read the bill before it gets voted on. They voted on it in the House of Representatives. It's passed the House. Now it's got to pass the Senate. If they make changes, which they will, then it has to go back to the House again. So we've got some real hope. And I'm hoping that you, my Democrat friends, reach out to their Democrat leaders, the people they put in office, and tell them, please, do not sign this Build Back Bankrupt because it's going to make us all go back. We don't want it. Let's not sign it. Please don't sign it. I implore you, convince everybody. My mother-in-law, Grace, she sends letters to every member of commerce in the Senate. She emails and writes and calls. God bless her. This is what we have to do. We got to follow Grace's lead. Yes, by the grace of grace. It means things. These people want to get reelected. Not only that, some of them really want to do the right thing. I mean, they have very low poll numbers. I know it. And I could say all kinds of things about Kevin McCarthy because he just demonstrated to me he's not a leader. He's a nice guy. He means well. He did an eight-hour-plus speech to try. I get it. But the reality is, if 13 Republicans voted for that bill, that's on him. Change it. Get a new guy in there. Get a woman. Get a Nancy Pelosi that's one of us. Find somebody that's capable of leadership. 
That's what you got to do. But at the same time, on the other side, reach out to your people. Tell them, do not pass the Build Back Bankrupt. It's wrong. It's bad. Don't do it. All right. I'm New York Mike. By the way, I'm in South Carolina at my daughter's house. I love South Carolina. It's a terrific place. I'll be leaving there tomorrow. I think I'm going to go back through Dallas, reach out to a few friends, and um, headed back home. But I'll probably do the next podcast from Dallas one more time. Roll right radio. Rolling west, baby. I'm New York Mike, and we're out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.